Today our Bible reading is from Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 to 10. It's on page number 1324. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was was a very large city it took 3 days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herd or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call out gently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fear and anger so that me so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is God's word. wonderful privilege to be here this morning and I did do some sums uh, I think I've been coming here for over 20 years but Alison spoke far better than I could have ever done so thank you darling before we come to consider God's word let's turn to our Lord in prayer shall we let's pray almighty and ever living God as we come to look at your word we ask that you would quiet in our hearts that the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight and the words of my lips will be true and faithful and that this day we will grow in our love and knowledge of you in Jesus name amen in 1966 a man by the name of michael hurd released a brief series of songs or a, a musical cantata which he called jonah man jazz it was basically a musical rendering of most of the book of Jonah when I was a, a boy at high school in Maitland uh, in New South Wales in 1970 I was part of a choir that sang those songs before the whole school of some 1100 boys at that time the first thing uh, the, the the first song started with this this whole lot of finger clicking and then we started to sing in a jazzy style Nineveh city was the city of sin a jazz and then the driver made a terrible din and it went on and yet the the one song in that cantata i can't remember is song 6 the last song it's the song which is loosely about what we've read here today maybe i did learn it and i've forgotten it after all it's over half a century ago now But when I hit the internet I I I found that the last words of that last song were 
Tell the whole world. Tell the whole world. Tell the whole world just what it's all about. Now, as I was preparing for today's message and as I was considering what uh, would be the major application or, or what's the big idea that I want you to take home, well, I want you in the light of the historical reality of the Ninevite revival, and that's what it was, I want you to remember the last two lines of Song 6 of Jonah Man Jazz, Tell the whole world, tell the whole world. Tell the whole world just what it's all about. So turning to the text before us as we read this passage, I I suppose a couple of questions might have come to your mind. One of them uh, would be, how did that message, the message God told Jonah to proclaim, how did it get through to the Ninevites as such that they responded the way they did? And the second question, uh, a second question might be, uh, since it was so effective, Is that perhaps something like the message we should be taking to the world as faithful disciples when we're acting as missionaries and talking with our unbelieving friends, our unbelieving neighbours and even people on the streets, people we meet? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in our text today, in just 10 verses, we read of an amazing miracle a revival where at least 120,000 souls, we're told in chapter 4, were saved by God's grace in just 40 days as Jonah finally obeyed God and preached this message, this wonderfully short message across the city. And yet the message, when you read it, Frankly, it's a terrible message. It's in verse 4 and it says, Yet 40 days and Nineveh, shall be overthrown. And yet this message was so effective that as verse 5 says, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This was bigger than a Billy Graham crusade, if you'd like. So as I look at the passage before us, I'm going to break it into three brief points. The first is that uh, Jonah, the man, was finally obedient. And then secondly, the bad news. And finally, the response, both the immediate response and the ongoing response to the bad news. So firstly, Jonah was now finally obedient. In the first two chapters of this book, we've read about Jonah, the the ignorant prophet, uh, disobediently trying to flee from the, the presence of God, who we know is omnipresent, or present everywhere. Jonah caught a, a, a ship to a place called Tarshish in his attempt to run from God, to disobey God's command. And yet God sent a big storm, such that the ship he was in began to sink. And in the end, Jonah identified himself uh, to, as the one who was fleeing from God and told the ship's passengers and crew to throw him overboard. Well, it was whilst in the water, as he was sinking in the deep among the seaweeds and stuff, that God directed a big fish to swallow him. And it was whilst in that fish that Jonah finally relented in prayer and surrendered to God's will. So God made the fish vomit him up on the shore near where he'd first boarded the ship. 
So in our passage today, we see Jonah finally submitting and obeying God. And in that, there is a major learning for us here as well. And that is that when you came to faith, when you confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord and King of your life, you submitted to his authority. Or at least that's what you should have done. But in so doing, if you love him, you should obey his commandments. It was our Lord who uh, commanded his disciples, as recorded in John's Gospel at chapter 14, verse 15. He said there, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Try to learn that verse off by heart. Learn it wrote. If you've learned John 3.16 before, well, learn this one too. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But uh, as Jonah was told to go to Nineveh basically to preach bad news, well, a bad news sermon, well, as disciples of Christ, we've been told or commanded to go into all the world and preach good news, the best news ever. Now, are you doing it? Are you being obedient, an obedient missionary or disciple? Am I doing it? Or are we still fleeing from the presence of the Lord like Jonah did? Do we still find excuses to why we disobey his commandment here? Are we going to be sort of like soldiers in, in a foxhole in war with bullets flying over their heads and bombs going off uh, who make a promise to God that if only he will save them, that they'll give their lives to him only to either forget uh, the promise when the battle ceases raging and they survive or, or worse still, they, they say to God, look, it's all right, God, the battle's over, I can take it from here. They ignore the fact that it was God that saved them and the battle and the, the battle had ended as he listened to their pre- terrified prayers and acted upon them. I confess in, in my life, I knew years ago that I should be serving God in a, in a teaching ministry and yet I resisted God and progressively life became more difficult as I failed to submit to God's will for my life. And yet when I finally did obey, life, although not a bed of roses in the physical sense, as the world looks at it, well, life is wonderful. I'm content knowing that I'm doing what I should be doing. The knowledge that I'm a sinner not worthy of anything and yet both saved and trusted by our absolutely holy God to proclaim his Christ before the world is an amazing knowledge. Why God chose me? I don't know, but he did. But for you, for you as disciples of Christ, he has also chosen you and given you a command as well. Now what are you doing about it? Perhaps you're now admitting in your heart that you know God has chosen you to undertake uh, some ministry in his service and, and you've been resisting him. Well, now is the time to be faithful. Now is the time to submit. Now is the time to be an obedient Jonah. 
Who remembers the old Nike logo, you know, the swoosh? And, and who remembers the accompanying punchline? Just do it. Just do it. Just proclaim Christ. Maybe you won't see the great revival uh, Jonah saw. Maybe no one will come to faith as you obey Christ. But the fruit of your labours in terms of people on seats in a church building is not the point. It's the obedience to and the love of God that is. This brings me to my second point, the bad news. Talk about the shortest sermon ever. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In terms of messages, it's up there with phrases like, we're all going to die. Well, the end is nigh, isn't it? What on earth would have caused anyone to listen to Jonah's message? It's perhaps one of the most pessimistic statements you'd want to hear, isn't it? It's not really a sermon. It's like the sermons you hear today. It's just plain bad news. When you read that, we thank our Lord that we're commanded to share the good news, the best news ever in the gospel. But why was Jonah's sermon, this, this short little statement, why was it so effective? How come this great miraculous revival occurred in the capital city of what history consistently reports was the mean, sadistic Assyrian Empire? Well, you'd have to say that our omnipresent God went before Jonah, wouldn't you? I can remember seeing and hearing preachers on street corners faithfully proclaiming Christ and not a soul listening. Perhaps you've seen that sort of thing too yourself. Perhaps people just walk by going about their business. Some even mock the preachers. But my point here is, If God doesn't do a work of grace, then no one will listen. For many years, uh, for many, um, as my sister once said to me when I attempted to share uh, share Christ with her, they complain when you're talking to people. They complain. They're too busy. They're worrying about their day-to-day lives. They're here and now. They tell you quite plainly that they haven't got time to think about God. They haven't got time to consider Christ. Their priorities, we know, are wrong, but that's where they're at. So clearly, God had to have gone before Jonah. It was him who who softened the hearts of those that lived in Nineveh. After all, just reading that message, it's actually just five words in the original Hebrew. Why would anyone listen? Yet they did. And again, therein lies a message for us too. When you're going uh, out to share the gospel or or even as you're, you're actually sharing, pray. Pray and ask God to do a work of grace in the lives of those you will or are sharing the gospel with. Yes, faith comes by hearing the word of God, as Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 17. But unless the Spirit gives life, such that they can see the kingdom of God, how would those who are dead in their sin hear? Dead people can't hear. People dead in sin can't hear. Again, I remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul in his 
in his letter to the Ephesian church at chapter 2 here, where he firstly says in verse 1, and you, that's us, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world. And then in verse 4 he says, but God, God being rich in his mercy because of of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now did you hear that? Who made you alive? God did. Why? Because he loved us and is merciful and gracious toward us. Well, with that in mind, when you're about to share the gospel, pray that God in his love would give life to those to whom you speak so they can hear and be saved. When Alison and I go out on our our PIM work uh, frequently, and I confess not always, but frequently we pray that God will go before us as we meet people. We pray that he will give life, life in the spirit, such that when we share the gospel, they'll believe. However, remember God will show mercy to whomever he will show mercy. So if the people you talk to don't all swoon and repent and, and believe on the spot, well, don't be disappointed. As believers, as disciples, we're called on to share the good news. We're not called on to convert people. I will never be able to convert anyone. You will never be able to convert anyone. That's God's role. But we are called to be obedient, to be faithful in proclaiming Christ. Yes, in sharing the good news, uh, you'll proclaim the bad news too. You'll proclaim uh, the consequences if they don't believe hell. The threat of an eternity in hell is not good news. But the good news, the the gospel of of the sinless saviour, the the Christ who, who took our sin upon himself as our substitute, the Christ who bore the entire wrath of God against our sin and died only to rise again bodily on the third day in his conquest of death. That's the good news. And it gets better. We too are promised the same bodily resurrection he experienced when he returns on judgment day. What a hope. What a sure and certain hope we have in our Lord. That's what we've got to say. The job is done. It's finished. The price is paid and now we only await the final consummation. We have to share this this message of hope and call on people, sinners just like you and me, to just believe and accept Christ as their resurrected Lord and King. They can't earn it. To us it's a freebie offered to this world but received by faith alone. God can either use bad news like he did with Jonah or indeed good news to save. And if he goes before us as we are faithful, people will come to know him and some repent of their sin and believe in him. They'll plea with him to save them from his wrath. So when you're presenting the gospel, be faithful, be obedient. 
and stress the need for the, the lost to have faith in the only person who can save them from the Father's wrath. As we've seen, God used bad news, the bad news he gave Jonah to save, but for us, God uses the good news that he commanded us to proclaim to save. And this brings me to my third and final point, the response, both the immediate response and the ongoing response. Verse 5 tells us that the people responded. They didn't just believe Jonah, the man. Clearly, they understood that Jonah was delivering God's message. And as a consequence, they fasted and put on sackcloth, all of them, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Even the king was changed. From verse 6 we read, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh these words, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them all call out mightily to God. That's, that's amazing, really, when you think about it, isn't it? The city was already turning to God, but then the king issued a decree, a, basically a law, that everyone should fast and wear sackcloth and call out to God. Could you imagine our Prime Minister calling the nation to repent and believe if he was convicted of his sin and came to faith in Christ? I pray it happens. And I pray it's one day soon. And yet on top of that decree for fasting, sackcloth and sitting in ashes, the the king also ordered the people to change their ways. In the second half of verse 8 in his proclamation, he says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from violence that is in his hands. This call for for repentance by the, the king of Nineveh was also a call for a moral change in the lives of people. We should always remember that. That's one of the aspects of repentance. In repenting of of your sin, you're saying, I'm going to change. I won't be the old sinful self. I'm going to try and live without sin, not for my salvation, but because of it, as I obey my Saviour's commandments. What can we take from the king of Nineveh's calls of the city to repent. Well, what will cause God to turn and relent of his fierce anger, which would clearly be there against Australia, the godless nation that we live in today? In Australia, people are proud to to declare they have no religion. People are proud in their rebellion against God. People call that which is wrong right, and that which is right wrong. And they do it, saying it's loving to do so. Their ignorance of who God is, as they deliberately ignore or reject what is so evident about who he is, is just mind-boggling. As they look at, at creation, we as believers can't comprehend how they cannot see God in his creation. As believers, we should be praying for our nation. We should be praying for those that God has placed in authority over us. We should be praying for a revival of, dare I say, 
biblical proportions. Well, Nineveh repented and God relented, and that's wonderful. Yet I need to make you aware of the prophet Nahum, another of the so-called minor prophets in our Bibles. Nahum was written uh, between 100 to 150 years after the revival in Jonah's time. It's a book of no mercy to a generation of Ninevites who had forgotten the Jonah-led revival. They'd forgotten their former king's call to repent. They'd forgotten the call to change their ways. In chapter 3, verse 5 of Nahum, God says to Nineveh, I am against you. And in verse 7, he says, All who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? The city that had repented had slid once again down the slope of sin. And this time, God was to show no mercy. It's interesting to recognise that the destruction of Nineveh was so thorough and so complete that after a time, people almost wondered if it really existed. The desert sands of Iraq had all but swallowed up the ruins. People wondered if the biblical accounts were only allegorical in nature. It wasn't until 1847 in the ruins of, of Nineveh that the throne room of the last king of Nineveh, Sennacherib, was rediscovered. And interestingly, it was uh, Saddam Hussein, the former Iraqi dictator, who set about seeking to restore and rebuild parts of the city. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, not only do we as individuals have to persist in faith in the, in the race set before us, but also cities and nations must as well. What lies ahead for the Western nations of this world, the old so-called Christian nations who, who now call good bad and wrong right? What lies ahead for them, for us? So my call to you is to pray that God will once again show his mercy to our nation and indeed the world. Pray that by his grace and mercy, that he will relent as he draws people irresistibly to repentance. Pray that he will send workers into the harvest field to proclaim Christ, not just in PIM but also in Reservoir. And pray that Christ will return soon. Pray for a revival, a mighty revival. Jonah was finally obedient to God. He saw a mighty revival, yet... It lasted less than three, maybe four generations. What will God do to us as cities and nations that once knew him but now reject him? So as you consider this, remember the last two lines of Song 6 in Jonah Man Jazz. Tell the whole world, tell the whole world, tell the whole world just what it's all about. Love Christ by obeying his commands. Proclaim the good news, the best news ever. And it's not someone else's responsibility. And I'm looking at you all individually. It's your responsibility. Tell the whole world. Tell the whole world. Tell the whole world just what it's all about. Let's pray. Our Father, as we've considered your word today, 
We thank you that by your grace that you have delivered it unto us, that it is there in black and white for us to be able to read. What a wonderful blessing, scripture inspired by the Spirit, written by men. Lord, we pray that we have learned the lesson you would have us learn this day. We would take it to heart and we would apply it in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.